So navigating the job market is, (laughs) it's never easy. Trust me. I know. But if there are two things that you should keep in mind, it's these. One, know the value that you bring. And two, always, always negotiate. But what do I know? Please do not. (laughs) If we say that being tired is one of them, please don't tell me that you're tired and then you've quit your job. (laughs) Thanks for the disclaimer, girl. Um, okay, so there are five general, I mean, there's many, but the, the five main ones that I always come back to, like as this baseline is time to go. One, your physical and mental health are being impacted by the work. This is But What Do I Know podcast with Chit Suzanne, a space for affirming, for learning, and for healing. A podcast and community where we're exploring our But What Do I Know moments in hopes that it helps you, the listener, overcome yours. You ready? Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Boa Duano podcast. I'm your host, Chid Suzanne, and I just want to welcome you all to yet another episode. Season three, episode eight. We are back with a brand new episode to get you through the rest of this week. So, before we go any further, if this is your first time tuning in and listening to this podcast, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You know, make sure that you are liking, commenting, and that most of all, you are subscribed to whatever streaming platform you listen to this podcast on, especially if that is Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It definitely goes a long way with helping with the visibility of this podcast. It helps others find this podcast as well. So thank you. If you've already been rocking with us, you've already been listening, you're subscribed, you interact with us. Thank you so much and keep doing what you're doing. You know, welcome to the fam and keep doing what you are doing. (laughs) All right. With that being said, I hope you're all having a wonderful week so far. You know, we got a long weekend coming up here in Canada and in the U.S. And I don't know about y'all, but I am in much need of some rest and I just want to lay down. I want to go for a bit of a a swim, eat some good food. And most of all, I just want to rest. So I'm wishing you all a very, very, very enjoyable and restful long weekend. All right, let's go ahead and get into our clue and segment for this episode. All right, so for our clue and segment for this episode, we're going to start off with some very, very, very obvious politics news. So I'm sure most of you all have heard already, but on Friday, June 24th, you know, news broke that the Supreme Court of the United States had overturned the decision and the ruling for a legal case, Roe versus Wade, right? And, you know, as most of you already know, this was the case that essentially provided abortion to be to be in a constitutional right in the country. 
And so now that this constitutional right has been removed, what we're now going to see and what Americans are going to experience is this patchwork of laws based on where you live. So, you know, some states will now um, it will now be legal to have an abortion in some states and some states will some states will ban them. Some states are having what they're calling trigger laws. And so what we're seeing right now is a lot of red and Republican states are you know, banning abortions. And then you're seeing Democratic blue states. Some of them are rushing to sort of protect abortion and reproductive rights. And of course, this doesn't directly affect us here in Canada, but we know as other things that when things like these occur, it all trickles down to us eventually as well. Um, And so I feel like when things like this occur, we can't just sit back and say, you know, damn, shit looking crazy. Like we, you know, we also have to sort of mobilize and get involved and reflect on how it affects our country as well. Um, And so, you know, if you're looking for resources, wondering what you can do, if you're in the U.S. and you're wondering how will I be able to access, you know, abortions, how can I sort of stay up to date? I know that Planned Parenthood is really good. They're providing very comprehensive information for people and updates, resources Um, specific to the U.S. There is an organization that's called the National Women of Color Reproductive Justice Collective. On Instagram, they're sistersong underscore WOC, and they are providing updates, they're providing resources, they're providing, you know, ways that you can get in touch with funding for abortion, um, understanding ways to access abortions if you're in a, if you're in a state where you may have to uh, drive and travel to another state. So they're providing a lot of very comprehensive um, information. And if you're also someone who wants to donate and get involved, you also have posts on, you know, um, certain organizations that they're in partner with that you can sort of donate and get involved with as well. So that's the National Women of Color Reproductive Justice Collective. And here in Canada, we have Action Canada, which is sort of the equivalent of the American Planned Parenthood organization. And so on their website as well, you can stay up to date on resources, access to abortions, because while it's legal here, sometimes there are barriers to access based on what province you live in, based on who you are, based on how much money you have. So you can definitely stay up to date. You can also, of course, you can also donate. You can also get involved as well and keep up to date with the advocacy work that's being done. And this advocacy work will, you know, just further ensure that here in Canada, you know, reproductive rights are entrenched in our laws so that what is going on right now in America hopefully never, never, never occurs here in Canada. So those are just some resources. You know, I have been sort of looking into this more reading. This is also a fluid situation. I know there are a lot of protests going on. People are coming together, rallying. Um, different organizations are trying to figure out how to join the fight, how to help. So I'll definitely keep you guys up to date as I get more information. But these are just some organizations that are providing really, really, really good, comprehensive um, information that you can definitely look into. So that is with regards to what is a very sad overturn in the ruling of the Roe versus Wade legal case in the U.S. All right. So I really hate that I have to follow up some, you know, really sad, disgusting, annoying news with trying to shift it and uplift us. But got to do what we got to do. So I have sort of been, you know, talking about events that have been taking place here in the city of Toronto. I know the summer has been looking expensive, is expensive. Um, and you all definitely do not have to go to all these events, but, you know, I just want to keep you all informed if something tickles your fancy and, you know, it, you know, fits within your budget, then, you know, by all means, we're outside, you know, have a good time, <laughs> be safe and enjoy yourself. So, 
This week, I have two more events, their festivals to add to our list. We have Cultureland Festival, which will be taking place August 6th and 7th at Markham Fairground. So this is just outside of Toronto. Uh, Burner Boy will be playing on August 6th, which is the Saturday. Then we have Weston. We got Janae Aiko. We have Fireboy, DML. We got Stone Boy. So, you know, tickets are available. I'm pretty sure they are not sold out yet. If you're interested, go ahead and check that out and get your tickets. I'm not sure if I'm going to that yet. We have to see. We have to see. There's a lot going on. (laughs) Next up, we also got Kaboom Festival, which is happening the following weekend. So that is August 13th and 14th. This will be taking place at Downsview Park. And we got Skang. We got Tenny the Entertainer. We got One Day Cole. So this is offering you a nice mix of your African Afrobeats artists and your dance hall artists as well. So I'm excited. That one's also, that one's looking really, really interesting. The lineup is looking tantalizing. So. Ooh, I'm gonna have a hard time deciding because I don't think I can go to both. But uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what we can do. But those are some upcoming festivals taking place here in the city of Toronto. So like I said, if you're interested, check them out. Uh, Cultureland Festival is at Cultureland on IG and Kaboom Festival is, I believe, kaboomfest.ca on IG as well. So check those out. All right. So now in the interest of time, there's been so much music, so much music projects, music, singles that have been released. And I want to talk about all of them, but I definitely can't fit them all into what's left of our clue and segment. So I'm going to divide this into two parts. Right now, I just want to dive into a little bit, you know, uh, Drake's Honestly, never mind, and Beyonce's Break My Soul. So It seems like dance music is, I mean, it never really left, but we're seeing sort of a resurgence of dance slash house music. I did like Beyonce's Break My Soul. I really liked it. I really liked the beat. I love that she, you know, sampled Big Big Frida. I love the lyrics. You know, with with house and dance music, you don't really have to say too much. You just got to say something uplifting. And uh, and get the that gets the people sort of going and moving. So I really liked it. I thought it was a great first single of her upcoming project, Renaissance Act One, which of course we're all anticipating. I can't wait for that to drop. So um, I liked it. Now let's get on to Drake. <laughs> so while I just want to recommend Drizzy for you know experimenting, I know he dips and dabbles in all different types of sounds from dancehall, Afrobeats, drill. You know, you name it. Drake has probably tried it. I wish and I feel like I feel like he rushed this one a little bit while it there was a synergy in the songs in terms of the style and the flow and the songs flowed to each other. I liked it. I feel like this is something that I can have in the background while I'm cleaning. This is also something that can be playing when I'm on vacation in like Mykonos or, you know, Santorini, Greece or something. And I'm just dancing and hanging out by the pool. Right. We're manifesting it. We're claiming it. (laughs) But I feel like when I was listening to it, I just wish that there was a little bit more synergy and cohesion between his voice, the way he rapped on those beats. Drake, I don't know. I don't know. But um, that's that's my sort of critique of the album. And um, yeah, but it's all right. It can definitely fly. Um, I've seen some people tweet and say, you know, I can recommend. I can recommend and I can definitely let you all know that this works in the club. This works at parties. And I believe it. So we'll be rocking to this. We'll be having it in the background. We'll be playing it on vacation. But I can say that it's something that I'm going to continuously, you know, have and listen to all the time. So, yeah. So that's Drake's Honestly, never mind. All right. So we're going to go ahead and get into our main segment for this episode. This week, we are talking, you know, navigating careers, navigating the job market, 
You know, we just um, went through grad season. So I'm sure some of you new grads are going to be applying for jobs, trying to get into your, you know, your field, start your careers and so on. Some people might be trying to change careers because the pandemic has forced you to do that or you just felt a pivot come in. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. My guest, you know, we had fun. We had fun talking about jobs and careers, which is something that you don't really, you know, think will happen. But this was such a fun conversation. And um, I really hope that this gets to whoever needs it right now. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into our main conversation. All right. So for our main segment on this episode, we are discussing career growth, our career journey, um, you know, different ways to navigate these. We know that sometimes we start off having a plan and then life sort of takes us on a different journey. So joined with me to, you know, discuss this further. I have Dr. Tega Edwin. I'm so excited for you all to hear our conversation. Uh, Dr. Tega is a PhD educated career counselor who created the business and platform Her Career Doctor to help women who are unhappy at work get clarity about who they are so that they're able to find fulfilling work. Her Career Doctor is driven by Dr. Tega's own personal journey as well as scholarly research and her six plus years working as a career counselor. So Dr. Tega, thank you so much for joining me on the Boba Duino podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to get into this. So you know what? We're going to start with your journey, you know, how you sort of moved, navigated to the point where, <laughs> you know, you're a career counselor, a PhD educated career counselor. So that's lots of schooling, lots of experience. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so go ahead and, you know, share with us and the listeners uh, your journey so far. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I always I start my journey from childhood, sort of where like the childhood part is, is, is short. I, I'm originally Nigerian, right? So I grew up in a culture where real jobs were like doctor, lawyer, nurse, accountant. Like that's what counts as a real job. And even though in my like in my household, my parents were never like, oh, this is what you have to do. I think I still internalized those messages about what real job is. And I took that with me into adulthood. And that kind of led me to doing healthcare. I initially wanted to be a medical doctor. Um, I failed the MCAT. <laughs> so I was like, well, that ain't gonna work. So moving on. Um, so I went to healthcare research. Um, and I was unhappy just doing that work. It's like I was in this tiny cubicle of an office. I was entering, I remember clearly it was research around like something around like smokers and their lung capacity. And I was entering that data into a c computer system, like Day in, day out. It was just very mundane, drudgery. I was not excited at all. I was not satisfied. And, you know, after doing that for a while, I really was confused about my career path. I was like, I know I'm, I'm not happy. I know I wasn't created to be unhappy, but I have no idea what I would do. Everybody else around me seems to be thriving. So am I the problem? Like, am I the reason why I'm unhappy? Like, it was all these questions. I think one day I really just decided, you know what? No. God did not create me to be unhappy. And if I'm unhappy in a place where I literally spend most of my time, something has got to give. And so for me, that something has got to give was was a kind of like a, a calling to take a step back and figure out what exactly it is I wanted to do with myself. 
And I knew that for me to figure out what I wanted to do career-wise, I would have to figure out who I was. Because, and this is one thing about my journey that has never changed, I knew that fulfilling work is aligned work. And aligned work has to be aligned to you. But if you don't know yourself, what are you aligning to? Nothing, right? And so kind of like working backwards is like, I need to figure out who I am so I can know what work is aligned. And I had the privilege of being able to take a year off, do all that work. Um, and really was kind of the self-work that I now help women do. And it, that journey led me to counseling. Counseling was sort of the, okay, this is what I want to do. And I didn't start from career counseling. I actually started from school counseling because back then I really loved kids. I still love kids. Let me, let me not say back then. I have like nephews and nieces. I still love them. <laughs> but um, I ended up doing school counseling for a while. Elementary school loved it. But that was where my sort of like the, the I would say the seed for career development was planted was in my school counseling phase. But then from there, I went on to do mental health counseling. And then while I was doing my PhD, I got a job as a career counselor. And just so by nature of the way we're trained as counselors, you're trained to do any kind of counseling. But over time, you develop your specialty and your expertise, and then you can zone in on one area. And you know, one of our ethics is to always practice in your area of competence. Um, and I had the expertise to do career counseling. And so I went to do that. And that was where like my love for career development really grew and blossomed. So much so that I switched my entire PhD research to start looking at career development. Um, and so I worked with an agency for like two years. And when I finished my PhD, I had to leave where I was. So I left that agency too. I went to work as a faculty member training counselors, which I love that work. I still do it. But one semester in, I was like, I miss working with clients. Like the career counseling work was so, so satisfying because what I've come to quickly realize is that Work is such a source of stress for so many people. It's such a weight, especially when they don't know what they're doing, where it can really be like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And when people figure out what that thing is, I can literally like see the weight coming off them. And I miss that. And so it was like, okay, I want to get back to doing that work. What's that going to look like? Well, I'm going to start my own thing, start my own business. It's like, well, okay, I've done the agency thing where I talk to anybody who walks through the doors because that's how we're set up. But if I'm going to start my own business, it needs to be representative of me. And I very quickly realized that, you know what? I want to work with women. I want to advocate for women because I think women are so disenfranchised and uneducated when it comes to their career. And I wanted to fill that gap and, and serve, you know, in my own way. And that's how Her Career Doctor was born. Okay. I like, okay, first of all, I'm also Nigerian. So I absolutely <laughs> relate to the, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer. <laughs> That's all you got. Like, that's it. That's it. You ain't got options, girl. (laughs) Options? What are those? (laughs) They don't exist. (laughs) So I I relate to that. I also relate to, you know, spending most of your time at work, especially in North America. I feel like we're such a work centric society. Like, I'm talking to our friends. I'm like, you know, nowadays we keep talking about, you know, it's not enough to have a full time job. You got to have a side hustle. You got to wash plates, do dishes, (laughs) sew mattresses. Like, ah. You got to do so many It's never things. ending. Mm-hmm. And so to make sure that, you know, you enjoy what you're doing, that it's fulfilling, this is such important work that you're doing. So, um, you know, that brings me to my next question. You know, this podcast mm-hmm. is called But What Do I Know? For a reason. And, you know, we like to explore moments where our guests or myself may have felt like, you know, but what do I know about this particular facet of life? You know, so mm-hmm. I'm wondering, you know, did you ever have any moments where you thought to yourself, what do I know about counseling? Who am I to teach these people about their career path or to guide them? Um, and if you did, mm-hmm. how did you overcome those moments? 
Yeah, I think multiple. Uh, if I would just lift them up, teaching my very first career counseling course and being like, girl, how am I going to help other people be counselors? I just became a counselor. Um, presenting my first solo research at a conference around a career development topic, like research I had done by myself, presented for myself. I remember that, like, I procrastinated on putting that presentation, like, it was accepted. And up until the night before the conference, I had not created my slides. I was procrastinating so hard because I didn't believe that I was an expert in the topic. It was like, but what do I know? Like, why, who am I to deliver this topic? And, and, you know, even working with my very first client in her career doctor, like, okay, I've only ever done this work in the context of an agency. Like people came to this company for service, but now it's like, this person is coming to me because right now I am the company. Like, girl, can I even help her? Like, what, what do I know? And, you know, the theme across all of those is I reminded myself of the facts. I, um, as a counselor, you know, we talk a lot about emotions. That's, <laughs> we're feeling doctors, right? That's what we do, where we help you with your feelings and emotions. Um, and also your thoughts, which is, is one thing that I think a lot of people discount is how much the stories you tell yourself drive your actions and drive your outcomes. And this is one thing I always push in all my programs is you have to absolutely be aware of what's happening in your head. What are you telling yourself about yourself? What are the stories happening up here? Because until you turn the volume up on those beliefs, they will keep causing you to doubt yourself and keep driving you without you being aware that that's what's happening. So for example, that conference story, I remember it was like the night before, I was like, okay, girl, like legit, you're presenting tomorrow. Why are you procrastinating? Like what you're going, like what is happening here and what are you going to do? <laughs> and when I asked myself that, I realized I was, I had been afraid, like it had been accepted, but I was telling myself that I was not expert enough to present by myself. And that was the key. It was my first solo presentation. Because like, what if nobody comes to my session? What if they ask questions I don't know the answers to? What if nobody shows up? Like, I, like what the heck? What if I don't know what I'm talking about at all? And when I, when I realized that was the answer, it was like, Girl, that's BS and you know it because it's already been accepted. You submitted a proposal, a panel of experts looked at it and said, this is worth our conference. They've already signed, sealed and validated this, the study. You just now got to go tell people about it. And once I said that, I literally sat on my couch and banged out my slides in like two hours or less because it was like, I realized the story that had caused me to procrastinate too long. And that's what I do every time I get to those moments where it's like, okay, do I really know what I'm talking about? And I ask myself, do I? Like legit, okay, let's pause. Instead of just ruminating and thinking I'm not good enough, I'm not, you know, valid, I don't, I'm not an expert. It's no, but wait, what did the facts say? Girl, the facts say you've been doing this for six years. Like if you're not an expert, who is? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you have a PhD. Like I'm gonna need you to take five steps back and get yourself together. And that's usually how I get, I get over those moments. <laughs> Amen, okay? Because when you said... <laughs> I remind myself of the facts. I was like, yes, you have your PhD. You're qualified. You've been doing this for six years. Girl, you got this. Go out there and crank mm -hmm. out those slides. <laughs> but um, no, thank you for sharing. And I, I love, you know, hearing from different guests, especially the women that come on this platform. And they, when they talk about, you know, ways in which they've navigated moments of doubt, of stress, of imposter syndrome. And um, yeah, thank you. I, I really appreciate I'm going to be reminding myself of the facts. Chid, that's... Yeah, you have to. You have to. One thing I always tell my clients is um, the reason why you have to be aware of your beliefs is then you have to then 
put them to, like you have to become judge and jury for your beliefs. You have to interrogate them. You have to investigate them and find where is the evidence to support these beliefs. And if there's no evidence, then girl, it's, it's not it's not fact. Throw it away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then let's get into, you know, career counseling, our career journeys. Let's get into to this this portion of our conversation. So career counseling is a term that I'm not very familiar with, but I do hear a lot about career coaching. So what's the difference between a career counselor, career coach, and um, at what point, you know, can either help us in our career journey? Yeah, the difference really is training, um, at least in the U.S., I will say that. In, mm. in America, the difference is training. Um you need a master's degree to be a counselor. You can't get licensed as a counselor without a master's degree. Um, anybody can call themselves a coach. Like literally, there's no regulation in coaching. It's, oh, I got a new job. Now I'm going to show you how to do what I did. I'm a coach. Like that's people, you know, that's what I see happen in this industry. Um, and so in my experience, a lot of career coaches, um, not all, just a lot, are pulling solely from their own experience of their career journey. And they're using that to guide other people, which is valid. You know, they've gone through the experience. Um, a counselor, on the other hand, because of the counselor counseling training, they have the skills to help holistically, right? They can help you with the strategies, but also the mental health piece, right? Like because we are trained as counselors, it's the who are you as a parent person? What are the emotions coming up? Like in my group program, somebody cries at least once each cohort. Like my, my clients be like, this feels like therapy. I'm like, yeah, it is. I just didn't call it that because of licensure laws. <laughs> so don't tell anybody. Shh. <laughs> um, but the, the, the key thing is counselors, for the most part, are qualified to do what all coaches do, um, depending on the kind. Like, and I always say, you know, they're different. Like some coaches only help you with resume. Some only help you with the job search. Some only help you with promotion. Some only help you with executive presence. It just differs. Um, but one thing that I don't think any coach can and ethically should not be doing is helping you navigate the mental health stuff. Like if there's grief you're experiencing, if there's trauma you've experienced, uh, if you're navigating anxiety, depression, those are qualifications that a counselor has, especially if they're licensed. And so they can tap into all of that in addition to the strategic part of things. Um, and so that I would say is like the, the difference is in the training. Um, but both can help you with, I say, it depends on what you want. If you're wanting someone who can help you holistically, then I would obviously always say go for the counselor because they can look at you as a person and the strategy. But if it's just a quick case of, Hey, I need someone to look at my resume real quick, you know, or I just, I need a promotion. I need, I need somebody else who has gotten a promotion in this tech industry to walk me through the steps of how to negotiate. A coach can do that. You know, if, if you're good, you don't need the full picture. You just need those quick strategies straight to the point. I think that's where a coach can come in. And that's not to say coaches can't talk about your emotions. They can because we're people. Um, it's just in terms of, I don't know that they're not trained to do it. They're not trained to leverage, you know, evidence-based practices to do the work. Um, so that's the biggest difference between both. And you can, who you pick is based on, you know, what you need. I always say when you're picking a career coach, um, and I, I always use the term coach because like you said, that's what you're familiar with. So colloquially, people are familiar with the term coach. And so even though I'm trained as a counselor, I call myself a career counselor and coach because that's what people know. Um, but I always say, you know, you want to look at things like their temperament, so their personality, their testimonials. So what results have they gotten other people? And, you know, is that a fit for you? 
um, their expertise. So do they do what you want them to do, right? If, if there's a coach who only helps people or a counselor who only helps people with resumes and you need help with negotiating, girl, that ain't the one for you. So really ex- doing your research, looking them up, seeing if you like their personality, if you like their style, and then pick someone who can help you do what you specifically want to do. Mm. Okay. Listeners, you, you heard the clear difference and <laughs> you're absolutely right because when I look at a lot of, you know, bios, a lot of experiences from a lot of coaches, it's pulled from their own personal journey. And it's often a lot of resume writing, help you with this interview, help you with questions. Whereas you're absolutely right that a counselor would be that holistic approach to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So focusing now on, I guess, ourselves as individuals and our career path and journey. Um, I listened to mm-hmm. a podcast that you were on. And you talked about the difference between a job and a career. And mm. it's so funny. I don't know why. I've never heard a definition like that before. I think the way that I understood it was, you know, a job is something that doesn't really have a long-term vision or long-term plan attached to it. And then a career is, you know, your manager or you're this strategist or planner of this firm. And then you work your way to being CEO, Right. But you explained it in a way and I was like, oh, would you look at that? So can you just please <laughs> share that on here? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, you've never heard it that way because people don't often talk about it. Right? That's why I do what I do. People aren't having these conversations. And girl, that's where the PhD comes in. I, I know these random facts about this field because it's what I study. But yeah, so a job is something that you do for the short term. And usually the main goal is it's for money. It's not really tied to your growth. It's not tied to your future. It's not being intentional. It's really, I'm doing this to make money right now. A career is more of an amalgamation of all your experiences over your professional journey. So whether that's education, volunteering, serving on boards, and then your jobs also fit into your career. It's everything. And so the example that I always give is like, let's just imagine Target. You know, maybe you are going to graduate school. And you're like, okay, I'm in school right now, but I need to make money. And it's like, okay, I'm going to go work at Target because they're hiring. And so you're working at Target right now because you need money to pay the bills while you're in school. That's a job. That's very different from maybe I did start a Target at the cashier, but I really love Target. I love what they stand for. I love their values. I love their mission. I want to work in retail. So from, from, from you know, sales clerk, I work my way up to manager of my store. And then I, I gain my skills. I go to some school, go to some training, and then I become a region manager. And then I do some more training. I network with people. And next thing, girl, I'm not familiar with Target's hierarchy, so I'm making stuff up at this point. But then I become like, you know, a chief people, a director of operations. And then from there, I become like a COO. Point is, all those things are tied from the sales clerk to the training that you did, to the, to the networking, to the conferences you went to, working your way up. All of that was building this career in retail that you wanted to build up. It had a long-term vision. You had a sense of where you were going and they're all connected to everything you've done. And you had like four jobs within that career span. So that's the difference between job and career. See, I like this definition because you can sort of see the, the accumulation of everything. The, it's not just the jobs that make mm-hmm. your career, but a lot of us look at our jobs mm-hmm. as the career. And I think we yeah. also tie it to the place. So if, like you said, if I'm working at Target, a lot of people look at those as jobs. If I work at Deloitte, then that's a career. I think a lot of the times we're mm. looking at it in terms of the place because we're placing a higher value on, you know, consultant firms versus retail or service type mm-hmm. companies. So I like mm-hmm. that you, you know, it's, it's the accumulation of everything that you've done to get you to that position. Okay. Mm-hmm, for sure. So mm-hmm. at what point in our career path, you know, um, 
Like, what are some signs that we can sort of use to recognize if we are ready for a pivot or a change? You know, let's say mm-hmm. I've been I've been working in this particular field and some things are just I'm not completely happy. What are some signs that I can look out for? And obviously, disclaimer, listeners, this is going to be very personalized for each person. Please do not. <laughs> if we say that being tired is one of them, please don't tell me that you're tired and then you've quit your job. <laughs> Thanks for the disclaimer, girl. <laughs> um, OK, so there are five. Gen- I mean, there's many, but the, the five main ones that I always come back to, like as this baseline is time to go. One, your physical and mental health are being impacted by the work. So whether it's um, the stress is too high and so, you, you know, you're losing hair, you're gaining weight, you're losing weight, you can't sleep, you, are, you have diarrhea, you're getting sick often, you feel more anxious, you feel more depressed, like physical and mental health are being impacted and you know it's because you're working in a toxic environment or you're doing work that is not motivating, it's not energizing, it's not engaging, it's time to go. Um, the other one I, I usually would say is when the money is the only thing keeping you there. So like you literally are saying, I've had people say this to me, I don't like the job, but the money's good. At some point, girl, the money stops being good. Like literally if all you look forward to is payday and you buy some nice things and then, and then you feel terrible again after, it's time to go because the money can only take you so far. And research shows that people consistently leave high paying jobs for meaningful work. Because over time, that, that stress of doing unaligned work will just get to you. It will wear you down. Um, if you find that you're always feeling drained, your energy is drained, it's probably time to go. And I would say, because a lot of people will say, you know, oh, my work-life balance is out of whack. I, you know, I need more work-life balance. And I'm like, well, your work-life balance is out of whack because you're doing unaligned work that is draining all your energy that you have no more energy for life. That's why it's out of whack. It's work has taken all your energy. So when you get home, it's like, I just need to lay on this couch until tomorrow. Like I'm done. And so when your energy is always feeling drained at the end of the day, you don't have time for friends, for family, for hobbies. Like you can't hang out with your kids, with your loved ones. You can't go to brunch because you're like, I need to recover for Monday. Um, That's probably a sign that it's time to go. Um, When you're not growing anymore, when you notice that there's no more professional growth, it's like whether by nature of the way the company's made up or just because it's not aligned and it's not a space that's right for you. Like people are getting hired after you and getting promoted before you. People are getting raises before you. Um, you know, you've asked for a raise. They keep saying, oh, when you do this, when you do, they keep moving the goalpost. And it's like, y'all don't tell me when I do this like five times and I've done each thing and I still haven't gotten this promotion or this raise. And I always say, when you notice that a cap has been put on your growth, that's a sign of how valued you are by the company, which is not very valued. So it might be time for you to go. Um, and then I would say when you just feel dread every day, like literally when you wake up and your first thought is, I can't believe I have to do this again. Like, oh, I can't believe I have to go to work or talk to these people or do this job. Like when you dread it all the time, that's not normal. It's time to go. Those are like the five, I would say, like universal signs that I usually share. Mm, those are good. Those are really, really good because, ooh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, hmm. Okay, so when we start to recognize these, right? And I can think, I I know for for me, I can imagine that one big factor that will take us from feeling Mm -hmm. these things to getting out is fear, right? Fear of stability. Even if you have a side hustle, even if you have assets that you can pull money from, like that stability to constantly have money coming in, that fear will keep you in that situation. Like right now they're projecting recession, inflation, throwing all these terms around. We're wanting to stay where we are. So 
if I come to you yourself as a career counselor and I say, hey, Dr. Tega, this is what I'm feeling. You know, girl, I'm dreading getting up in the morning and doing and going to this job. But I, you know, the money's good. How do you sort of work through that with your clients? Like, what are some things that you sort of talk about? very first question is do you know what you want to do instead that's Mm -hmm. where I start because if you don't know what you want to do instead it's a whole other conversation than if it's like yeah I want to do this but in a different company so that's the first question I'm going to ask is do you know what you want to do instead and either way once whether you do or don't then the next step is always going to be let's get clarity um clarity about who you are what do you value what are you interested in what are your skills um let's also get clarity about what kind of roles you're interested in and then with the fear, I would let you know that, look, and this is, we, we talk about this in both my programs. It's, we always talk about fear because like fear will keep, fear has kept, will keep, is keeping a lot of women in jobs that are literally killing them because they're afraid. And so what I always tell people is you have to realize that there's a difference between fear and being afraid. Fear is an emotion, just like joy, happiness, excitement, sadness disgruntlement, whatever. Fear is an emotion. There is no point in your life where you will not feel fear. Anytime you're doing something new, fear will show up because fear is your brain telling you, this is new. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Fear is always going to show up. Being afraid is when you start making decisions based on your fear. And this is where then you have to do work of taking control of your thoughts and your beliefs. Because I can feel the fear and still do the thing that I'm afraid of anyway and keep going. Or I can feel the fear and let the fear control me and keep me in a situation that I already know is not serving me. And so that's like the first conversation is realizing you can feel the fear and still take action. Fear doesn't have to be your, your uh, state of being. It can just be the emotions that you're feeling while you're doing something else. So that's one thing I like to share with the women that I work with is let's recognize fear for what it is. Because it's not going anywhere. It's going to show up with you for the rest of your life. Just embrace it. That's one. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, it's the next question is, okay, what is it costing you to stay where you are? Because people will say to me, okay, I, I feel I'm afraid of change and I don't feel motivated. And I'm like, okay, ultimately only you can answer this question, but you're afraid, you're staying, you know, the job is not working for you. And you're choosing to stay in a job that isn't working for you. Like that is the choice that you are making. Some people don't have choice. Some people do. And so what is that costing you? Like step back and, and what is the cost of staying where you are? And I found that when you realize that it's costing you your health, it's costing you your relationships, it's costing you your confidence, it's costing you your peace, it's costing you your weight, your skin, your hair. When people realize the cost, then some part of you is going to be like, nah, son, something's got to change. I'm not doing this again. But only you, like you have to take stock of that. Like each woman has to come to the point of, I'm paying too much to stay in this job. Like it is doing, it is, the cost on my life is too high and I need to do something else. Um, and then if you're a woman of faith, because I always bring up my faith in my coaching and I always remember, rem- remind my clients, um, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of sound mind yeah. and love, okay, right? And preach. power. And so- If I feel fear, I know it's not from God. And so I have to remind myself to take every thought captive and bring it to submission under Christ. And that's me saying, I feel this fear. 
but that's not the spirit God has given me. So I'm going to do what I need to do anyway to change my life because my life is not working right now. So those are some of the things that we would talk about if a woman came to me. Hmm. Okay. I like that a lot. I, I think <laughs> a lot of what we don't often consider is um, the cost of staying. I mean, I know right now, especially as younger millennials, we're getting a lot more comfortable with switching jobs. You know, you've seen things like mm-hmm. every two years, if you want to maximize your income, or if you want to, you know, get the best out of it every two to three years, switch jobs. It's how you get the growth. Da, 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 da. But we don't often think about the cost of staying. Like we focus too much mm-hmm. on the cost of leaving, of leaving. Like, what am mm-hmm. I losing out on? That promotion, mm-hmm. the money. But that's a really, 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 really good point. Thank you. You are just My pleasure. a wealth of knowledge. I love it. <laughs> um, and so I want to get to, you know, people who are quitting jobs, looking for jobs. Um, last year, 2021, you know, there was this term coined the Great Re- Resignation. I almost want to call it the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the Great Resignation. And this was sort of a time where we saw a huge number of people leaving their jobs. And some people were citing people going to passion projects focusing on hobbies, focusing on family, starting your own businesses, several mm-hmm. things, right? And, you know, we saw this more prominent in the U.S. than Canada from my research. You know, the, the term was still coined. We know people were, were resigning yeah. for various reasons. So from your, you know, your research, the work that you do, what are some of the reasons that, you know, people were, were leaving or people are still leaving if, if we're, you know, still experiencing it? And are we still in this sort of period of great resignation. Are we still noticing that? Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, depending on who I'm talking to, I would phrase this differently. So I'm going to give you both phrases. But ultimately, people were leaving because they realized that they were doing unaligned work and life is too short for them to be doing unaligned work. Like, I think that's what it boils down to. It's like, we're like, yo, my loved ones died. I almost died. I'm not spending 90,000 hours. That's how much time you would spend at work over your lifetime. I'm not spending 90,000 hours in a place that doesn't value me. So they were leaving. Um, and so some of the root of that is, and this is the work, if I was working with an organization, I talk about how um, just management and leadership is so impactful in retention and attrition. And what I noticed from the work I was doing with women is that a lot of my clients were experiencing such toxic levels of stress at work that it was leading to trauma. And so they were engaging in a flight response because when our body is threatened, when we are under stress, which is seen as a threat, we either flee, freeze, or fight. And I think the great resignation is really the great flight response. People were fleeing from toxic workplaces. Um, And so, and I've talked to organizations about you need to implement trauma and from leadership so that your leadership can better handle the people. But what I was seeing from the the individual side is people really were like, life is too short for me to be here. I need to either go do more flexible work, more aligned work, work that pays better, or just spend time with my family because again, I lost loved ones. So I'm not trying to spend another 10 years feeling like I'm not valuable because I did that for 10 years already. So that's what I think was behind it ultimately. And some people were forced out just by nature of family responsibilities. But I think the people who left by choice was that was the driving factor. Are we still in it? I think yes. I mean, in the US in April, there were still 4.4 million resignations, April of 2022, April of this year. Uh, 4.4 million resignations. So we, we've consistently seen over 4 million people resigning every month for, I think, the past year. And it hasn't stopped. It was 4.4 in April 2022. And at the same time, unemployment is at, not unemployment, sorry, open, open positions. So in the U.S., as of April 2022, 
there are about 11.4 million open roles. So employers are saying like they, they don't, they're trying to find talent, which I, I think that's a bit of BS. Like you're just not hiring who you need to hire, but that's by the wayside. Um, so I think it is sort of an employee's market right now in that employers are trying to retain top talent. People are being a lot more picky and choosy about where they go. Uh, people want fulfillment. People want meaning and they still do want the money also. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I mean, the, the, the resignation rates are not as high, but they're still higher than they were pre pandemic. So that's why I think we're still sort of in the great resignation because 4.4 million in, in one month, which was really two months ago or so, that's still a lot. Mm. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's still a lot. And so I guess then you answered my next question was, you know, what sort of market are we in right now? Are we in an employer's market or employee's market? And for my my sort of research and even just looking at jobs in my field and so on, I get the sense that we are still in an employee's market. I get the sense that people are able to demand, mm-hmm. especially, you know, mm-hmm. coming from the pandemic. We're now sort of living with it slash managing it. People are wanting mm-hmm. remote jobs, hybrid, um, larger salaries. People are negotiating more. So um, I guess... To sort of end of this portion of discussion, how can individuals looking for new work, looking to switch who are unemployed and on the market, how can they sort of use this current job market to their advantage as if they're going through this interview process and so on? Yeah. Well, the first thing I was, which is what I said earlier, start with clarity. Mm-hmm. Don't just job into don't just jump into the job market because you think there are jobs available. So I'm just gonna start searching. Because when you go into a job search without clarity, you without three things clarity strategy four things i lied clarity strategy a plan and an intention when you go into a job search without those four things you will be frustrated by the job market like even though it's an employee's market like people still aren't getting jobs there are people who want jobs who are not getting them so you will find that you're frustrated because you are not marketing yourself well throughout the process and when you're job searching you automatically become a marketer your job is to market yourself so that's the first thing I would say is make sure you, and when I say clarity, I mean clarity about who you are, again, values, interests, skills, as well as the kind of job you want. So one thing I hear people say is, you know, I'm on the job market and you know what? I'm just staying open. I have a lot of skills and I'm just, I'm staying open. It's like, girl, you're not a book. What you staying open for? Stop it. Like staying open is not, no, <laughs> look, because, so I, because most people have so many skills like, oh, I'm going to apply for this project management role, but also this coding role, but also this customer service role. It's like, nah, so like you're con- confusing yourself and everybody else because then you're trying to market yourself for three different roles. You're trying to show all your skills in your documents because you think it makes you look more experienced. But really what it does is confuses hiring managers because they're like, are you really qualified for my program management role? Because I'm seeing other skills on here. So you have to get clear because once you get clear, then you can really become a marketer. You know what role you're looking for. You know what kind of industries you want to go into. And then you become very targeted with your application process. So that's those are like the, the foundational things to start. And then to take advantage, which I mean, this was my advice to anybody before this market. So this not, hasn't really changed, but it's just always negotiate. Like you never accept the first offer ever because just assume they're lowballing you. Like just always assume that. And so I would say maybe even more so now than ever, you can negotiate more things, but I've always made my clients negotiate regardless. So that it feels like I'm saying what I've always said, but I would say for anyone who has never done it before, I feel like now more than ever, if you're not negotiating, you're really playing yourself. So those would be the things I would say for anyone who is trying to pivot or enter the job market or is, is already in the job market. 
I love the flow of this because that was my next point. So I actually have a listener question for you. And this was sort of how okay. you put in okay. your career coaching hat back on. And literally tied to what you were saying about negotiation is what is the best way to, you know, state your salary expectation when you're going through the application process? And also the best way to negotiate your salary when it doesn't meet your expectation. Because sometimes, you know, you you sit in interviews and it's like, what do you expect? And you're just sitting there like, and I've done it where I say like a 10K range. I'm like, you know, 60 to 80, 65 to 75. Yeah. And then <laughs> it's like, OK, well, 65 to 70, that's like, you know, so how, how do we go about it, especially now in this market? Yeah, yeah. The range is not bad. I'll start by saying that. But the first thing I always say is you don't say your number first. That's the, the first answer. You don't say your number first at any point is, is the goal. Some companies are very pushy, but un- unless they push to the absolute max, you avoid a number. If it's one of those applications where they have you type it in, just put zero. So you don't say it because the person who says the number first has lost some leverage. Um, and so when they ask, what do you expect? Then the response is, well, what are you hoping to um, compensate a person that you hire for this role? I-, I would love to hear what what you think is commensurate with the responsibilities of this role. Multiple ways you can say, but get them to say their number. Because more often than not, you'll find that you probably lowball yourself when you say your number first. Unless like you're really like you've done this before and you really feel good about yourself. Like you feel like you are the ish, which most women don't. You're going to lowball yourself. So you don't say your number first is number one. And then number two is before you enter the job search, you should already have what I call your walk away number, which is the number that if they go even a dollar below it, you're done. You're not, you're not even entertaining it. You should know your walkaway number before. And that's one thing I do with all my, like when I do work with a job search client, in our very first session, we determine their walkaway number because any job that's below that is not even worth applying to. And so some jobs will post the, the range so you'll know ahead of time. Some will not, which if it's a multiple process and at some point um, you can ask a recruiter, you know, what's, what's the compensation range for this role? And, or you can wait for them to make the offer. If you want to go through the process, get, you know, if it's a company you're really excited about, you're willing to go through the process. Let's see how it goes. So that's what I was saying. And when they ask, if they really push to the max, you do give a range. But the key here is, so remember if, if you clarified your walkaway number, let's say your walkaway number was that maybe for you, it was 75K. Okay. And they really pushed it like, no, we want to know your number. Then you say, okay, well, based on my qualifications and my research, I was hoping to be compensated something between eighty-five and ninety-five thousand for this role. Notice where my walkaway number was. Yes, not in the range at all. <laughs> okay, my walkaway number is not in that range because I don't want you to offer what I'm going to walk. Like my walkaway number is like I can survive and do some nice things. I want you to compensate me more. And so I only say that number because you have pushed me to. Really, I want to hear your number first. And so, yeah, a, a 15 to 20K range is acceptable. And that's what I would give them. And it's always it's based on my research, my qualifications and my experience. This is what I'm hoping to be compensated. And you really should have done your research. So that walkaway number should be based on your cost of living, as well as the research you've done around the role that you're applying for. And so if they push, if push comes to shove, you give a range and the, your walkaway number, if you don't feel comfortable, then you might say, again, if you're, what did I say your walkaway number was? 75? Yes. Is that what I said? Mm-hmm. Then you might say, at the, if you just like are really, like, this is really scary, which it shouldn't be, then you might say 75 to 85K, right? Like you put it at the very end. But ideally, it should not be in your range at all. And that's how you can answer that question. That's smart. So that even if they give you, you know, 80, then hey, okay. You still got what you wanted. <laughs> this is so great. I can't wait for people to hear this because I have a girlfriend who literally just was going through the application process, going back and forth with recruiters. 
given them a number. They said, no, the company can't do that. And she would come and ask me. And I was like, no, go back, ask them. You've been in, the, in this field for three years. So this is great. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, you have a walk away number that you if they if they go any lower than that, you don't you know, you walk away. What if, let's say, my walkaway number is, you know, I, I want 100K. Just throw that out there, right? I want 100K, but they are offering me um, 90K, but they're offering to, you know, pay for some um, professional development courses. They're going to pay for some conferences. They might even reimburse me on some travel. And it sort of comes around to that 100K, but it's not necessarily like cash. Mm-hmm. Are we still okay mm-hmm. to take that? Because that's what I feel like I could do that trade off. If and only if we are truly excited for this role. Okay, yeah, that, that. It should never be. It should never be because we are desperate and afraid that we will not get something else. Because I've had some clients do that, where they've come below their walkaway number, and it's like, okay, but let's look at all the other ways they're putting money back in your pocket. I remember for her, it was like subsidized daycare. Okay, well, you would have been paying for that daycare anyway, and now they're paying for it. So that's technically like that's three more k in your pocket. They pay for parking. That's maybe another grand in in your pocket, right? They pay for professional development, another three grand. So when you add it up, yeah, that's money you would have spent anyway, but they've given it to you in benefits. So it has brought the entire compensation package up. Because yeah, we look at the entire packet. Health insurance, what are, what are they paying for? And so then, but the question then becomes, okay, keeping all this in mind, they've like all these things are coming close to your number. We are now at like 98.2K. How do you feel about the company? You've talked to them. You've talked to the teammates. Do you want to be in this place? If it's like, you know what? I really am excited about this role. Then yeah, go ahead and take it. But if it's uh, not really, but I'm scared I won't get anything else, girl, walk away. That's why it's called a walk away number. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. No, that's fair. That's fair. I agree. I agree. If you're excited and it's just everything adds up, then take it. If not, we will find something. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that as as junior, you know, as young millennials making our way through the, through different industries, it's having to tell yourself, listen, like I'm valuable. Like yes, I'm young, but I'm I'm learning. Um, I, I'm going to grow and I'm going to become the project managers and the managers and, you know, directors and so on. Like I'm valuable. Right. Because sometimes you're yes. so tempted to want to take the first number that's thrown at you like 70K. Oh, my God, I'll take mm-hmm. it. Great. So not nah. <laughs> definitely. Um, like, don't do it. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yep. thank you so much for for sharing all of that. Um, I'm going to end off this pleasure. this portion of our conversation. But, you know, if you have anything else you want to add, you have the floor to do so. But this has been. Amazing. You've just shared a lot of information for us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I think I would just want to remind people that, you know, being miserable at work should not be your norm and you deserve to enjoy what you do for a living. Mm, okay. <laughs> what a word. <laughs> um, okay. So Dr. Tega, we are not done yet. You know, this is the Bobo podcast. So we do have a fun little segment at the end where, you know, we just want to get to know our guests a little bit more and get to know the side of our guests. So I'm going to ask you, Four fun questions. And without thinking too hard, okay. just give me the first answer that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. All right. So heels or sneakers and why? Sneakers, cause girl, my feet can't do heels no more. My <laughs> arches be hurting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> heels if I'm going to like a wedding, but sneakers. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, you close your eyes and you can instantly teleport to anywhere in the world. Where are you going? Uh, at this very moment. 
Nigeria because my husband is there right now. Okay. At this very moment. <laughs> That's the only reason. Yeah. I was about to say, of all the places, I mean, I love home, but... Uh... Only reason. Otherwise, it would be Bali. I've wanted to go to Bali. Like, Bali is my next trip. So, if he was, if he was not a factor, I would be going to Bali. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So... You know, we go out, we're on the dance floor. What is the first dance move that we're hitting them with first? <laughs> God, it's got to be a twerk. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be a twerk. We've got to bounce that ass. Yes. <laughs> can I say ass on here? Yes, Sorry. you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Last question. Dinner with any two people dead or alive, who would it be? Trevor Noah. Mm, that's a good one. And Rihanna. Ooh, yes, Riri. Okay. I mean, does Jesus count? Yeah, yeah. Why not? <laughs> okay, then it might be Jesus and Rihanna. Okay, but those are my like three options. One of those three people. <laughs> why? Why? Why Rihanna and Jesus? I'm just curious. Um, I mean Jesus because I just got questions. Yeah, man. I just got life questions. Like, God, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? You know. Um, I mean, I think I know the answer, but I have many questions. Rihanna because she is. Her, mm, it's she has a lot of qualities that I aspire to have and admire. She is very business savvy. Um, she also, I've seen just random clips of her being very kind, like giving people money when they ask. Like I remember there's a video I've seen of her. She was going into like a corner store um, and some guy stopped her and was just like talking about her music. And then I think he asked for like money for food and she just like turned to her bodyguard and he gave her some money and she gave it to him. And I just love that generosity of heart. She also seems fun. Like she has this like core group of friends that when she's with, she has a good time and she's loyal to them. So there's some, and, and she's a smart businesswoman. She's built multiple empires at this point. Yeah. So this is some like, like features of her, but she's still doing like her, her, you know, um, I've forgotten the word philanthropy yes. work. And so I, I think she just has those qualities where she's a smart businesswoman, but it hasn't made her like cynical or from my impression, think that she's better than everybody else. Like she still seems down to earth and wanting to be available when possible while still being wildly successful. Mm. Um, so that's why I would, I would pick those. I like that. Okay. I really like that. Thank you for, you know, giving me those amazing answers to all the questions. Thank you for all that you shared. Uh, before I let my you pleasure. go, just uh, go ahead and share your socials, share your website so people know how to directly connect with you. Yeah, I'm at her career doctor everywhere. I spend most time on Instagram, but I'm there on Twitter also and on Facebook. On LinkedIn, I'm Tega Edwin. Um, HerCareerDoctor.com is my socials. Um, you know, if this conversation like really resonated and you're like, I need help with job search, then where I would direct you to specifically is um, I have a job search, free job search training. So if you go to learn.jobsearchsimplified.com. It will give you a chance to register for that job search training to kind of walk you through some of the strategies that we talked about today. Sorry, did you say free job search training? <laughs> Listeners, you might want to take advantage of that I, one. <laughs> I, I, I did. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Tega, for being on this episode. Um, I appreciate you so My much. Pleasure. This was so great. Thank you. Thank you.
So with that, we are at the end of our podcast episode this week. Thank you all for listening to my conversation with Dr. Tega on navigating our jobs, our careers, making pivots, as well as trying to figure out the current job market. Please keep the conversation going on our socials, on Instagram and on Twitter at BWDIK Podcast. Share the episode with anyone you know may need to hear this conversation and would find it useful right now. You know, and please let me know, you know, what you think of the conversation, if you found it useful and if you'd like more tools and resources, you know, related to career help and career navigation, if you feel like those would be helpful, please let me know. And, you know, as always, drink your water. You know, I'm going to just say that again, drink your water, especially if you're outside because it is hot. (laughs) Um, You know, drink your water, mind your business, and you all will hear from me real, real, real soon. Bye for now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.